listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon Podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin. This episode's a real treat this week. Uh, we're talking about one of my all-time favorite artists, Harry Nilsson. Big influence for me. Uh, and I have one of my favorite guests back on once again, uh, Matt Longo, a.k.a. Thin Lear. Check out his music. If you like mine, you're going to love his uh, beautifully orchestrated Baroque pop you got some other genres in there too, but uh, we come together to talk about Pussycats. And if you don't know this album, <laughs> it's uh, it's an outlier. It's a weird one. Uh, Harry Nelson in 1974, produced by John Lennon. This was like their big uh, partnership album, and a lot went wrong, and uh, some stuff went right too. Uh, we we both are, are kind of into this album. It's it's uh, it's a fun one. So let's get into that now. Excited to talk about this record, I'll tell you that. And what fine album have you brought before me? Pussycats, which I am a little bit worried about uh, tagging on social media because I don't know <laughs> how, f- how far it will get within the algorithm. But we chose this record and, and we need to stick with it. Well, we could also tag it by its original title, Strange Pussies, right? Even better. Even, a, a, an even stronger run for the top of the Billboard charts. I mean, it sort of lets you know you know, what, what position their, uh, headspace was right there. <laughs> I think most people, I, I don't know if this is true for you, but when I, when I've talked to people about this record, uh, it seems like they, everyone read about it before they heard it. And I think that happens with some records, this, this album in particular, I think because the lore is so intense and, and so directly connected to like the rock story canon that, uh, it's it's not really a record that you would just come upon or hear on the radio or whatever. I think somebody has to tell you about it and guide you towards it, uh, and mm-hmm. then you hear it. So everybody is coming to this record with uh, preconceptions about what it's going to sound like and and you know how they were when they were making it. It's it's hard to hear it without all that stuff. Yeah, that's the John Lennon syndrome. His name's right on the cover. Uh, a Harry Nilsson album, 1974, produced by John Lennon. You know, the, the gears start turning and as to what what is this? What's it going to sound like? What are they doing on this album cover with the, the dollhouse? and the Yeah. So much to break mm-hmm. down. And it's so, you know, the fact that we bring up Lennon, we brought up Lennon before uh, we brought up Harry Nilsson. It's a Harry Nilsson record. You, you, mm-hmm. just, you just did it. I did it in my notes. Lennon's name is, is arriving before Harry Nielsen's name is, and I think that's very telling uh, and, and probably uh, also lets you know uh, uh, how Nielsen was approaching the sessions. It was almost like a, I, I'm, I'm a piece of a Lennon album right now, uh, and I think that, that um, part of that mentality might have led to uh, what happened to him, what happened to his, to his voice, uh, some of the places that he was uh, that he went was maybe uh, pushed or, or at least pushed in tandem uh, with Lennon, uh, made in the depths of Lennon's Lost Weekend, and it's sort of it reminds me of um, uh, David Bowie getting clean, 
you know, uh, he's creatively at sea, Lennon, at this point. And, and it's sort of similar to, but Bowie certainly wasn't creatively at sea when he was getting clean uh, in, the, in the late 70s. But, you know, that, that foray, foray into production that he did with Iggy Pop when he was just trying to mm-hmm. uh, get, get out of the... the the yeah, idiot. exactly. And those results are, are I think, definitely, uh, definitely better. Um, but it's, it's like it's a similar kind of thing where they're using the experience with another artist that they definitely respect, but they know that they can play with as, as a springboard to get back to their real inspiration, to get back to themselves. Um, you know, Lennon was doing that rock and roll record uh, at the time uh, he's making with Phil Spector, whose presence looms large over the sound of this record. I don't know if you agree with that, but we can come back to it. it sort of reminded me a lot of death of a ladies man in terms of, uh, sonically, um, I, we keep talking about another one you've brought to this podcast <laughs> about these Phil Spector albums. I, I don't want to present myself as a Phil Spector fan. Uh, but yeah, you know, Nielsen walked into those rock and roll sessions and I think Lennon's eyes must've lit up because he's doing this covers record. Um, you know, he had some time in New York City before that. It's sort of been a while since he, he came back to himself, or actually Mind Games, which used to somewhat return to form, but it doesn't necessarily stand out uh, in his catalog. But, you know, he's saying to himself, okay, I'm creatively at sea, but I respect this songwriter. Right. I know he adores me. Let's see if collaborating might be the spark that I need. And, and I think that the fact that we're talking about him first is sort of just lets you know what you need to know about the, these sessions and this record. Well, this album to me sounds a lot more like rock and roll, the album, than it does any other Harry Nilsson album. Mm-hmm. Man, where, where to start? What a case of being your own worst enemy with Nilsson at this time. This is, this is where things fell apart permanently. Uh, and it's, it's like part of listening to this is really fun and cool and there's some great moments. And then in other ways, it's like, boy, I guess you don't want to meet your heroes. <laughs> You certainly don't want to party with them every goddamn day. And he just, he's, like like I said, a lot of beautiful moments. I really enjoyed listening to this album, but he screwed up big time. And it's, it's a, the way the story unravels, it's, it's, uh, it's hilarious and terrible. It, it is. And, and you know, uh, Nielsen always made decisions that uh, seemingly... Uh, came out of nowhere, you know, like he would, he would sort of be on a track towards success or, or a mainstream success. And, uh, you know, he'd arrive there or he'd almost arrive there and then he'd do something that was bizarre. And I think up until this point, those decisions were, it's sort of like a Linda Ronstadt thing, though she was kind of always commercially successful, even in the strange decisions, but, um, wish he would, he'd just do, do what he wanted to do. You know, he made a little touch of Schmielsen in the night. He does like a covers, uh, record of standards that his audience is not going to know. And that record is beautiful. Um, you know, those kinds of decisions, beautiful. we look back on that and say, or he, he does the point, you know, he does a soundtrack for a, a really bizarre, uh, animated film. Uh, we look back on that and say like, and that lives on, but it does. And that was a huge, that was definitely creatively successful all of that work lives on and you say creatively and that's absolutely right like that's why we love harry nielsen those kind of bizarre decisions where he was like nah you know forget about doing uh nielsen schmilson too i'm gonna do what i want to do or i'm gonna release a single where i say f you uh decades ahead of CeeLo green uh and make something what a great song completely unmarketable uh you know i'm gonna have a a a group of uh, um of folks in an elderly home 
geriatrics. Yeah, geriatrics sing on this song about death. You know, those decisions are why we love him, and they all eschewed the the mainstream. This is the one where he was doing that, and it was in a way that was um, not just self-destructive to his career or to mainstream success, but to his body uh, and his ability to, yeah. to perform. And I think that's the difference between the, the, the decisions here. And, um, you know, what you said is true. It's, it's very it's, – it's depressing to, to talk about um, the destruction of his voice. I mean, it, it really – I, I was surprised at how much it, it got to me when I was uh, reading about it and, and making notes on it because the, the dude had a, I think, one of the best voices in pop music. Period. I mean, I would put him up there with Al Green, Sam Cooke, uh, Otis the range. Redding. Yeah, I mean, ju- just the, the three and a half octave range, and he would just Absolutely. dance around melodies. And on this record, you hear him trying to do that and and not getting it i mean it's still gorgeous because it's him uh i would prefer listening to him struggle to hit notes than most other people hit notes but uh it's sad because you hear him sort of adjusting to this to this new voice and it's it's uh kind of blown out let's talk about some of the the chaos that sort of led to the voice destruction uh definitely one thing i want to cover in depth is like the the power dynamic between the two of them and how it, that maybe may have led to some of the destruction. So coming into these sessions, Harry Nelson was already on the decline uh, physically, mentally, like he was in a bad place. He was really depressed. The booze and the blow was already catching up. Forget about how partying with all these rock stars like Lennon, you know, exacerbated those issues. But like, uh, for such a brilliant, formerly prolific songwriter, like the well was running dry with that. I think he was losing confidence in himself. And um, he uh, he's working with Lennon. He gets this chance to have Lennon be his champion and produce for him at the same time as his voice is starting to give out and he's abusing it. He's not taking care of himself and he's keeping it a secret that he's having these issues. Blood is getting on the microphone, supposedly, but... He doesn't want things to stop because he thought if he stopped the sessions, he'd never get the chance to work with Lennon again. And he might have been right about that, to be honest. But it's like, oh, you know, he's just he's not respecting himself. He's not. Uh, I, I think there is boundary issues, to say the least, with mm-hmm. these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you use the word champion. And I think that's really uh, perfect because, you know, L- Lennon and McCartney, too, uh, sort of put um nielsen on the map uh in an, in an international way when during a press conference they said that their favorite group was nielsen uh and it's, it's oh, sort yeah. of a, it's, it's an infamous statement and i think everyone was like who is this guy i mean it even inspired the name of a the documentary about him that sort of that that comment so uh, one of my favorite documentaries amazing. yeah and, and and really a documentary that highlights some of those uh, bizarre left turns that we were talking about before, and his career was full of them. This one just sort of led into a, a brick wall for him. So he he fell asleep on a beach one night. Uh, or it's a story that he that he t- it tells, and and he woke up with a throat infection, and that was like early on in the sessions, and then potentially ruptured one of his vocal cords and struggling to push through that issue. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, it's it said that he hid what was happening from Lennon. 
But you have to figure that mm-hmm. Lenin had to know uh, a little bit of uh, how bad it was. Um, right, like what happened to this guy's range? <laughs> yeah, where, where is his range? Why does he sound like a ghoul? Right, yeah, and, and why is it not stopping? And, and Lenin said he thought the, the voice loss was somewhat uh, somatic, you know, that it's some psychological issue, mm. but I don't know. Yeah. You know it, it doesn't sound like... You know, we're 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 both singers. You you know that the the somatic tightness thing. You know, you can get sometimes, but yeah. he sounds blown out. Um, you know, it, it really, and he still yes. sounds great too. That's the perverse thing is like I like his voice like this as well. You know, I just try to forget about the damage he's doing to himself, but he sounds awesome vocally. Yeah, still. yeah. I mean, and you, and you listen to a song like uh, Old Forgotten Soldier. Where he is just yep. ragged, and and that light touch that he used to have, like he would have just tiptoed around that melody, you know, a, a mm-hmm. year prior. Uh, but the top of his range was is kind of gone, and there there's a lot of points on this record where instead of a, a, a note, it's like a whistle, you know, it's like it's like a ru- rush mm-hmm. of air coming out of his throat, and uh, it's still sadly, uh, I guess it's it's sad. It's also a, a little bit um, just interesting. It, his his voice still uh, uh, is is incredibly enjoyable to to listen to. Totally fits the song. Yeah, um, I, I you know I, I love Lennon. You know his his creativity has been an inspiration. And he's the reason right, we're all here. It's, it's, Come on, yeah. Um, but I, and I know there's in more recent times been a, a stronger backlash against certain elements of his character and uh, stuff that he did and sort of the way he treated people. And uh, I don't think he uh, he certainly deser- deserves uh, that, that uh, some of that character backlash. And he would admit himself that he was, you know, an asshole uh, some of the time or, you know, a, a good portion of the time. Uh, I, I kind of blame the relationship between the two of them on the throat destruction like nielsen you said was was coming into this messed up and uh he was and so was lennon so it's these two crazy dudes that are both like peaking in terms of like self-doubt and and uh excess and and all the self-destructive stuff um but I, i there's a power dynamic here that is uh affecting things um you know, Lennon emerged from these sessions ready to be a different person. You know, he got back with Yoko. He's ready to start changing his life. He said that making this record was a real breaking point. He acknowledged how out of control he was. But everything got worse for Nielsen. Nielsen kind of got wiped <laughs> out by the whole experience. Even creatively, he wasn't the same guy when, when yeah. he exited the album. And I think when, when you're in front of your hero like this, it, the hero himself or herself has to... Uh, take some responsibility for for the for the 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 person who is adoring them. Like you, you have to kind of look out for <laughs> look out for the person because you know they're going to push themselves right. to make you happy. And he was sort of just like, oh whatever, you know, <laughs> he's doing his thing. Uh, it, it's a uh, disappointing that it that it happened that way. And there's a sad desperation that's totally apparent on this record and it's, it's, it's all over it that I don't think comes across when you, when you read about all the, the lore. Right. Yeah. You don't get to the heart of it really. Cause this is a musical victory in a lot of ways. Yes. Like many rivers to cross is an epic way to do a cover song. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm epic. absolutely epic. And I know we, we've been talking about how, uh, how destructive the record was, but 
I agree completely. I, I love this record. I regularly come back to this album. Uh, it's haunting. Uh, it, it's it's like a time capsule of the fleeting nature of beauty and 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 good times. Uh, and it's it's important. Mm-hmm. It's an important record because of the quality of the songs, not just who made it and what state they were in when they made it. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a, a lot of the lore stuff is good for people like us who love digging through this through sessions. Uh, it's enjoyable to think about yep. them working on it together and being like in a stupor. Um, but <laughs> but in in terms of why the record is great, it's because of the songs. Well, I will say for me, most of the songs. I I also get a little frustrated by the last third of the album, and I really think there was a lot of wasted opportunity. And like you know, I get into the zone of what could have been mm-hmm. because. Personally, for my listening experience with this album, there there's some duds and like it runs out of steam. And there's there's some moments that I'm like, why was this the best you had? Like, why is this? Why are you putting this as your best foot yeah. forward? So I, I get a little frustrated with that. But at least a good good hearty chunk of this album is beautiful and absolutely holds up for me. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think um, you know, there's a handful of tracks that are, are sort of confounding. I mean, the loop to loop. I think we could probably both agree <laughs> that we don't love that one. Pro- probably the weakest track. Um, just it just sounds like a cocaine cover, uh, and it's a sh- <laughs> it's like keep that for the B-, B sides. Have that be like the funny little like last hurrah after you've like consumed a, a great album. It, it's rock around the clock. I didn't need the rock around the clock. <laughs> yes, I, I I agree with that too. Uh, I, I I do like the sped up ending though. I, I think it's a perfect way to end mm. this record. Like the train is just coming right mm-hmm. off the tracks. But uh, yeah, I agree. Yep. I don't come back to those songs. Uh, but many rivers to cross. Let's come back to that because that's yeah yeah yeah. It's the first track on the record. It's the first track that that I heard from Pussycats because it's not like this song had like a smash single or whatever. You know, it's there's, there's no one song that I think is like you know, synonymous with, with Pussycats, but, uh, I love the Jimmy Cliff version of the song. I think that's obviously oh, yeah. still the version that's the definitive one, but there's something about this version that's just devastating. And it's, it's oddly powerful, uh, a moving way to start an album that doesn't always stay in this heavy place. And he made it into an entirely different song, but there's this like lump oh, yeah. lumbering gate in it. Uh, and there's a lot of pain in it. And Lennon himself, I don't know if you agree with this, but it, it seems like he lifted this entire arrangement for number nine dream. Oh, he did. Like it's the totally. same exact string part. He he was starting to feel his oats as a like studio musician and producer again, mm-hmm. big time, I think with this. And he's like, Oh, I can do this with my own music and take a little more ownership and direction. Like I, 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 I feel, I would theorize this was a great catalyst for him starting to get musically back on track for a little bit. That's why I compare it to the Bowie Iggy thing. Because like yeah, you know you, you totally. see him doing like China Girl with Iggy and then being like oh and then like and then he covers China Girl later like it you know it's it's it, they're working out their own issues through another talented songwriter who's not on their same uh, commercial plane but uh, artist right. artistically is is you know right there absolutely uh, subterranean homesick blues do you like it I like that cover I like it too yeah I wrote it I wrote it's it's nuts. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, does actually kick ass. Yeah. Yeah. Lennon is a great producer. Like the I've never forget all the lore and who's involved, blah, blah, blah. I never heard other music that quite sounds like this. Mm-hmm. Just on a just the way the gooey 
blown out like 70 it's kind of retro even for a 70s produced album like it's 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 just really interestingly constructed there's a lot of creativity with with the production it's so funky and underwater uh yeah if it was a little bit more lo-fi it could fit alongside like sister ray on on velvet underground's third album you know like it's starting to get into that territory yeah. yeah yeah and then there's that um Triptych. I don't know if you is that the word for it. Is is it th- three three songs that are originals in, in the middle of this album that are right. all in my mind classic Nielsen songs. Totally, um, it's just that they're on this yeah. record, so they kind of got lost lost in the sauce. But don't forget me might be my favorite song on the album or close to it. Um, it's it stands alongside his other ballads, toe to toe. Oh. Absolutely. And the production, you, you sort of hear them being like, oh, shit, we actually have a classic here. Like, like the production is different. You know, it's, it's more, a little bit more pristine, a little bit more precise. Um, it's like both of them realized that they couldn't do what they were doing with the other songs on this track. Like it needed to. It, it can't be party time the whole time. It can't time. be party time. Yeah. It has a grandness to it that, that some of the other ones don't have. And, and there's that humor and, and sadness. It's all wrapped up in that traditional bow. Um, you know, say, saying uh, the, the, the line uh, "We're old and full of cancer" uh, is is yeah. not a line you're going to hear on any other songwriter's track. You know, sung in that way. Not in this era, definitely not. But with pathos and with humor, it's just yeah. uh, uh, the, nobody else. Maybe aside from like Randy Newman, is going to be writing songs like that. Yeah, how fitting that the two of them collaborated a few years earlier. Nielsen sings Newman. That might be one of my favorite uh, Nielsen records. I mean, I, in terms of where we're ranking this, I guess we could talk about it later. But uh, it, this is up there. Uh, I think Nielsen sings uh, uh, Newman and and Nielsen Schmilson are, are just really uh, a little bit more important to me. But uh, Pussycats is one of his better records, in spite of one all of the better ones. Craziness. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I'm a huge Nielsen fan. I mean, maybe that. Isn't I would bet people have dug into my music with Niagara Moon of Feast together at some point. He was when I discovered him in the arc of his career and in, the, in the, his discography, all the stuff he's done, whether he wrote it or he, or he just performed it. But like he is a he's such a unique figure and has such a unique kind of magic to his music. And that, like you said, the the balance of humor and pathos mm. with him is yeah he's he's uh on par with with the randy newman but he's also got a great singing voice <laughs> yes. like what a what a combination yeah i mean no 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 shade to randy newman's singing voice either it has its place but um yeah i would absolutely love to do a uh <laughs> a nilson ranking later on in this talk but i i'm with you that this is one of the uh the upper tier uh projects of his for sure and i definitely agree with you i, I mean i hear i hear the nilson influence in your work and, and i th- i think there's a and in yours, with Thin Lear, I oh, sure. can't forget that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was actually thinking about that. I was thinking about, you know, the songwriters uh, whose influence, like, actually seeps into the work. Because there are songwriters that I absolutely love or who influenced my life but didn't necessarily make their way into the songwriting. Uh, and right. with this dude, like, he, he did. Um, th- there's just something that's really fun about the songs, even when they're sad, you know, like think about his cover of without you. Like, it's just like, it's so grand or, or, or the song, um, uh, uh, daddy song, uh, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so uh, much. 1941. 1941. Father Had a Son. Yeah, uh, uh, Good Old Desk. You know, like th- those songs, there's, there's a lot of pathos in them, but there's such a light yeah. a light touch and a fun arrangement, and it's just like such an odd combination of, uh, of things. Uh, who is it? Van Dyke Parks, uh, who's worked with everybody, one of my heroes, uh, just a wonderful producer, arranger, said he was like the smartest guy he'd ever met in the, in the music world. Wow. Uh, he was working at a bank, working with computers before he got roped into being a pop star at the age of 27 or whatever. But, but like, yeah. this guy has a background and a brain, like not a lot of his peers and just his his unique kind of twisted, but charming. I mean, he he wrote a kid's musical too. It's He, do, he does everything. He covers the classics. Like Harry, Harry Nilsson was so uh, bold and experimental and unapologetic in his creative choices and it it just pays off wonderfully like after the fact like he's he's one of the guys that's like the most fascinating to dig into you know years and years later but anyway i, I mean <laughs> we could spin off in so many different directions with the let's let's talk about um i, I think maybe what has turned into my favorite song on the album yeah and i know you're going to disagree uh because mm-hmm. i'm not even sure why this is my favorite song on the album it okay. just is is mucho mongo uh, yeah, I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the song that I would just skip through uh, consistently. You know, I listened to it probably you know a couple of times, and it just wasn't for me. Um, it's it's the one that he co-wrote with John Lennon. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 totally the kind of song Lennon was writing at that point. You know, where it's, it's kind of dashed off, very sweet melody. It could have been on Mind Games. You know, like there's a, a lot mm. like One Day at a Time, where the melody is like really gorgeous and the arrangement is like out there. Um, yeah, but this song, once you get through the first verse, uh, it works beautifully on the chorus, and there's this huge sonic achievement. I think it's so unique. Uh, I actually come back to it just way more than I should because of how fantastic the chorus breakdowns are. The fa- it's one of the grander ones, it, and yeah. the fade out is like a masterpiece for me. Uh, they achieve this a very very new sound. Like this doesn't sound like a Spectre thing. Like this is some, some yeah. something else that they some other alchemy. It definitely feels like an experiment, and uh, I, I definitely give him points for that. It, to my ears, it just ends up kind of feeling a little aimless. Mm. Like, hey, Nilsson and Lennon came together for a song. What would that be? Oh, Muchamongo slash Mount Elgo. What? What? What's? What are they singing about? What's the like? What are they aiming for here? I just get a little confused, but yeah. um, I, I can appreciate it's. It is totally something unique and new. And then I think Old Forgotten Soldier is the song that, like, you can really, you know, aside from Many Rivers to Cross, which was supposed to be the song that destroyed his voice, um, you know, Old Forgotten Soldier is the one where I think it's just really apparent that you hear him uh, disintegrating. Um, And I. I, It sounds like a broken squeaky toy. It does sound like a plush toy. Uh, And I know it seemed like earlier in in the podcast, I was kind of blaming. Lennon for this throat destruction like he also played a massive part in it I mean uh he the self-destructive tendency that he had wasn't helped by Lennon but like he brought it to the table um you know he'd be doing things during the sessions to make his voice better and then he would be right back to drinking and staying out and doing crazy shit Mm -hmm. And, and I think that sad desperation of not being able to fix yourself and, and stay on the right track is is there it's it's there in the covers it's in the originals um 
and and you hear him kind of emulating like that primal scream thing that Lennon had been doing a, a few years prior on, on many rivers yep. to cross, which is like so dumb, uh, so un- so <laughs> unnecessary, uh, and, and did all kinds of damage to him. And it, it's brutal to he- to listen to it. Like I have a hard time listening to the fade out of that song. Uh, yeah, where he really tries to just take it higher and higher. It's like why, why you know? And and that is that's Lennon's influence there. It's just like you know them sort yeah. of uh, pushing each other. And there, there were some beautiful moments between the two of them, though, in terms of their friendship. I don't know if you read this story, but he, he essentially got him like a five million dollar contract with RCA. Uh, yeah, he to to keep him keep him going, like when they were going to drop him, right? A few years later, he went down there to the offices because uh, they were like waffling on the on the conditions of the contract, and he went down there like an angry, understandably, parent <laughs> after the run he had recently had. Definitely understandable. And his, his point was like, look, with, with Nielsen, you've got an artist. Like you can, you can sign all the, the, the chart-topping hits that you want, but this is the guy who's an artist. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it was just uh, 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 unfortunate that, that the, the relationship ended in the way it, it did, but uh, resulted in what it resulted in. But there, there were some supportive moments in there. Yeah. And I guess now's as good a time as any to say I really love the album Knilson from 1977. And I totally feel mm-hmm. like he redeemed himself with that album after some some unfortunate duds. Um, like, I love that album. I could talk about that album just as much. Um, some of my favorite songs in there. And then it, it just it came out the same year and on the same label as Elvis when Elvis died. So it got like no attention in tanks. Uh as RCA took all their their business elsewhere, essentially, and just that effectively stopped the rest of Nelson's career and its tracks. Just like another unfortunate strike in this guy's story. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to get out my love for that album. I do. Like, I, uh, I, but the the story of Harry Nelson and his music does doesn't totally end end here in 1974. No, no. And there's some other there's some other solid records that he comes out with. I mean, that is definitely one of them. Um, and some great singles. Uh, it's not like the, the creativity was over, but certainly that that right. run that he was on that seemed like yeah. unimpeachable up to that point. It's just so weird and interesting. It, yeah, it so, yeah. sort of reminds me of, I mean, we love this as music fans. We love the, the failed genius. I mean, we just love that story. You mm-hmm. see it over and over again. Like, you know, we know each of Towns Van Zant's uh, commercial failures like we we know all the bad decisions he made and it's it, like similar to harry nielsen like i know more about his all his left turns and why things didn't work out than i do about an artist like uh i don't know abba or somebody who who just really had hit after hit <laughs> right, just success after success yeah, i don't know much about that um but i i mean i do i have examined the failures and i think we just like we love it we we, we love that story uh, I'm not sure why, but uh, definitely it is, has been something that um, I gravitated towards like in my teens when I was like, just like, who is this guy? And this music is insanely beautiful. And, uh, you know, his name, and I never heard of him. I, before. I never heard of him. His name's Harry. You know, like it's, it's that's why that that uh, documentary is, is such a great title, because that's like how everybody starts with him. And it's kind of like, I mean, again, we're getting a little more macro here, but like, what did he want? He does all these ridiculous <laughs> kind of stunts. He never performed live. Mm-hmm. He didn't seem really driven by any like star-seeking ego thing. Like, what was I can't? 
he's a fascinating character. He's hilarious. He's super intelligent. I would have loved, you know, to hang out with him, but it's like, what was he going for at any stage, really? He just wanted to to make a mess of things, and it's hilarious. That's absolutely right, and and I think that that it's like wanting the love and then the rejection of that love and being like, well, I don't want it this way. Um, you know, right. I, you don't know who I am. <laughs> right. And it's, I, I think a lot of it comes from, or it seems like from just reading biographies of him, it's, it's some of the inspiration or, or the, the drive comes from the, the dad issues. Uh, oh, that's all that of it. He had. Yeah. And, um, you know, wrestling with that and how it manifested in his own life. I mean, really his early story, uh, is beautiful. It, 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 you know, he was plucked from obscurity. Uh, he, had a, he had a small publisher, and and they uh, mm-hmm. they got him to sit down in front of the monkeys, and he played a bunch of tracks. And um, Cuddly Toy was the one that stood out to Davy Jones, and they recorded it and great, did well. Great sixties number. Great, great song. And um, you know, it, from there, it's just like you would think. Okay, he goes on to be a successful songwriter. And it, it gets so much more complicated than that because he just kept changing paths i mean that that whole um i was comparing uh lennon to i I forget the name of the uh the producer on um was his name richard was it richard perry richard perry right i I keep on saying richard sherman no it's richard perry and he um great producer great producer and and he locked them down you know nielsen could be like flighty in the studio and he he you know made sure everything was in place so that when the moment struck uh, everything was right there for him. And I think Lennon, as interesting as this production is, uh, definitely was not ho- holding it down in the studio in the same way. But fortunately, at some point, he sobered up, or relatively for him. Lennon, Lennon just had a moment of clarity, got the hell out of Los Angeles, finished the album in New York, and was able to tell Harry, like, stop fussing with this, get out of here, I need to finish the album, we, I need to lock this down. So he, he eventually took on that role, but maybe it was too late by then. Right, too, too late for Harry's health, but uh, not yeah. too late for the And maybe, the maybe I mean, like I say, maybe the project could have been a little more focused, showcased a little more, uh, you know, good songwriting or whatever, but better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, yeah, you get the sense that Lennon was, before he sobered up, kind of the ringleader of the chaos. Um, and Well, he's like the most famous guy in rock music. Yeah. I mean, he's he's the magnet that brings in, okay, Ringo's coming over. Here comes Keith Moon. Uh, here comes Trouble. Uh, how, all right, maybe this is a tangent again, but how much of a head trip would it be? Like you said, the, the Nilsson had very humble beginnings. He got in with the Monkees. Uh, you know, slow and steady. How much of a head trip it is, is it to hear the biggest thing in music ever, the Beatles, Paul and John saying, oh, this guy, th- this is our guy. In America, mm. it's Harry Nelson. Like, what does that do to your psyche I th- at that time when they're at their height of success and, and uh, fame and, and they're pointing to you? And then you finally get the chance to work with the guy in person. I think it's the working with him in person that was too much. Uh, and I think it would be too much for any normal human being. I mean, um, you know, if, if if you knew how erratic Lennon was at the time, like it's not going to stop you from getting a, a ch- taking the chance to work with him. And I, I don't think uh, Nielsen should should have done anything differently with that. Like he had to say yes. No, oh, yeah. But 
you know, the fact that he didn't feel comfortable with him, even though they were buddies, like it, it's very obvious he didn't feel comfortable with him to be to be open in that way to say, hey, I need to let my vocal cords rest or I need more time to write more originals or um, if Nielsen yeah, just... Yeah, I need more time, basically, need more time. Right? And like you said, if he trusted Lennon to come back to the studio and produce at a later date, maybe the damage could have been avoided, but he didn't trust him. Mm, or maybe he was smart enough not to trust him. Smart enough not to trust him, yeah. Uh, no, I think he definitely would not have come back uh, had yeah. they stopped. I mean, he was sort of all over the place then. But Yeah, and L- Lennon kind of took up something with David Bowie for a little while, but then that stopped. I mean, I don't know how much of that was, was on Bowie for, for leaving America as well, but... You know, the, the Lennon could have been a little fickle. We we don't know. Yeah, yeah. That was in the days where it just seemed like L.A. was just like where rock stars were going to die. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, like just slowly, yeah, slowly die. Uh, they were all losing their minds out there, and they they both made a similar uh, move out of L.A. around the same time. You know, seventy five, seventy six. You know, around, yeah. around that sort of time when it, where it was just too much for them. Uh, they saw what where they were headed. Um, I don't know if, if Harry Nielsen stuck around in L.A. after the sessions, but uh, well, he got married a couple years later to like the love of his life that he stayed with till till he passed. So he 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 had his own version of settling down. Like I said, that can Nielsen album, he got it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I we haven't talked about all my life yet. The song "All My Life" track number four, which is. Just another example of Nilsson's brilliance where he's he's calling out the whole situation perfectly. Mm-hmm. And just like, what is that? You know, like, uh, I'm taking pills. I, I'm so tired from laughing. I can't fight. I just, I wish I could be in bed with my wife. Like, he has complete uh, awareness of the situation, it would seem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's stepping outside of it. I, that song, I, I wrote down that same line. So so sore from laughing, haven't got the will to fight. Uh, probably accurately describes him at this period. This this song could have been on Nielsen Schmilson. I mean, it's that uh, it's that. This good. might be one of my favorites. Even musically, it's really weird and interesting. It's fun and, the, and the rhythm, it's funky and, and it's sad. I mean, it's just that rare combination again. Uh, the strings are a little over the top, as they are throughout. I think most of the album, Lennon kind of yeah. lost his mind with that. I think that was the Spectre influence, but this, I mean, the song is uh, fantastic. What is it? I'm full of it tonight, <laughs> right? So good. That's, that's iconic, yes. Uh, and then you Save the Last Dance for Me, which is sort of like, um, you know, Many Rivers to Cross, where he just like uh, milk. I love that cover at Save the Last Dance for Me. Yeah, it just rings all the pathos out of it. And again, it's it's like Many Rivers to Cross. It's not the definitive version of the song, but he takes it to this dirge-like place. Uh, and, and there's uh, the, the and original is really romantic, but here it's like de- desperate. It's pleading. Uh, one reviewer called it like ambient and anxiety. Oh, yeah. That's good, but I, I love the, the little all the little vocal flourishes he's put in there. Like you, you still get that that classy Nielsen vocal delivery, and just again the production shines on this one too. Mm. The way the drums sound, and you can't go wrong with Klaus Vormann on bass. Um, shout out to one of the great underrated bassists of all time. Oh, so many good players on this record. Yeah, Klaus is on here. Jesse Ed Davis, who is like all over great records and uh, from that era. Bobby Keys. Uh, you, you have oh, how did Bobby Keys make it to seventy years old? 
that the is. saxophonist with the Rolling Stones and just one of one of the other main offender party guys. That guy was out of control. Most definitely. And then you had uh, speaking of guys who are out of control, Keith Moon plays on the album. Um, who was living in that house with his, it was him, Ringo, uh, uh, Harry, and, and John, and they were in that house that uh, in LA, this that LA was mansion, supposedly where Kennedy took Marilyn uh, Monroe, uh, mm-hmm. which is just like an added layer of uh, LA insanity that probably wasn't necessary for them to all be living to, uh, together. I mean, I think ostensibly they were, did it so they would all get to the studio at the same time, but like really it was just, yeah, sure. That, that was the reason. <laughs> seemed like they're, you know, it, it didn't seem like that big of a place. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a, a house, but, um, for, for those dudes, they're probably kind of living on top of each other. <laughs> yeah. Who, who really had bedrooms versus just you collapse where you collapse. <laughs> So I guess so I have a, a couple of questions for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess what, uh, for starters, where would you rank this in Nielsen's overall discography? Um, I think he has definitely a healthy amount of albums that are like A tier, and I might put this one like B plus. Hmm. Yeah. Parts parts of it are stand with, like you said, with "Don't Forget Me." Like parts of it stand with the best he's done. Uh, but there's too much silliness <laughs> towards the end for me. <laughs> yeah. But I, I always I do think of it favorably still. Yeah, yeah. I'm in a similar place. I might I might be more inclined to bump it a little further. But um, yeah, I, I I agree. I think the, the record has enough. I know the consistency is in the first half, but there's enough surprises for me in the second half that I still really love it like the disintegration at the end of rocker on the clock uh that bizarre song black sales which is like that's a weird one totally yeah. odd and what's that doing there it, it's striking and dramatic and ominous uh it's it's almost like a scott walker song or something like it's uh these mm. avant-garde strings or like a jock jock yeah. brell song um it just yeah it's it's wild I, and i and i love it uh and then you know like i said my my uh love for mucho mungo and just where that song goes, this is enough in that second half that I, I'll keep coming back to it. And I think this record is really haunting in ways that the the lore that you read beforehand doesn't communicate. Like the, the lore doesn't communicate the sadness and how haunting it is. It's just the fun. Yeah. Yeah. You think just a bunch of, uh, you know, aging rock stars partying and freaking out. I mean, that that's where... That's all, all signs would kind of point to that energy, but it's not just that. It's It's got more layers to it. And can we talk about the Walkman? Um, uh, yeah, I, how do you feel about that? So the, the, the indie band, the Walkman, covered this whole album in 2006, just like top to bottom, like recreated it. I, the, I feel about it like... Well, for starters, the Walkman, I, I, in, in my mind, are an incredible band. Uh, they got some good songs, yeah. Disco- Angela? Yeah, yeah. Discography that's about as solid as can be. Uh, I mean, I, in my in my opinion, they just don't have a weak record. I think that they're not tec- technically broken up 
now. I think they're on like an extended hiatus or a permanent hiatus, but they chose to cover this record in painstaking detail. And when we say painstaking detail, we mean like the, the, uh, the remake of psycho or something like just shot for shot, the exact same thing. And they were like on their rise in popularity at that point. They weren't even at the peak of their career. And it was such a strange choice that this is how I feel about it. You kind of have to love it because it's such an insanely ambitious and pointless move right. that it absolutely needs to be folded into the surrounding lore of the record. It's, it's a labor of love. It's an inside joke that turned into something tangible. Yeah. And it's not a record. I, I, w- I was going to have more an, of an attitude about it until you see that they released like a legitimate original album the same year. So I'm like, okay, like bonus tracks. Cool. Like as long as you're not trying to like hang your career on this. It's strange that they uh, really released it as its own uh, record. I, I definitely don't listen to it much cause it's just like the same thing, but you know, it, it sort of just makes me want to listen to, uh, the record itself, but the dedication it took to make it is impressive. Um, yeah. and it, the it's voice what, pairing is, is very appropriate. He really, oh, the Walkman ha- ha- guy yeah. really sounds like, uh, yeah. drugged out Harry Nelson. Yeah. Ha- Hamilton Lighthouser can scream, scream his ass off with the best of them. Uh, yeah. it, it's one of the, for, for me, when, when I see bands do stuff like this, uh, it makes me feel less alone as a music nerd. Like there were guys out there that loved this album enough to spend time learning it note for note and then recording it. And it just makes me happy thinking of them doing that here in New York. Like it's, uh, it's just an enjoyable thought and I can't even fully explain why. Hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, I feel like I say this about most albums I end up talking about on the podcast, but this one really is like, if you're a music nerd for long enough, this is going to come into your orbit. Because, I mean, like we've been talking about, there's so much lore around it and so much to poke at and admire and um, (laughs) be embarrassed about. But it's it's to know that, uh, you know, awesome bands like the Walkman out there get it too and and feel, you know, respected enough to want to totally cover it note for note like you know there there's there's something there there's some solidarity and it and it means um you know it's funny that we also did death of a ladies man uh because you I, like I, the albums where it's it's dudes out of control <laughs> dudes out of control yeah that's that that's my uh that's my uh, spotify playlist dudes out of control <laughs> uh i i i i think i respond to uh like the sadness and the chaos, uh, like when you sort of have to, that record and this record, they reward, um, like intense listening. You know, I think if you were right. to just have these al- albums on, on in the background and be like, Oh, it sounds like a crazy sort of disorderly it's not party s- music. No. Yeah. It sounds like a disorderly session, but not in a way that's like, it's really, really, really fun. Um, I think it, it rewards close listening and, and you get, um, kind of what you want to get you know there are so many different moods within both of those records uh i mean death of the ladies man is more dirge like but there's some funkiness there and there's a lot of interesting things going on and it's just so chaotic that uh whatever you're feeling in that moment similar to this record is is what you can pick out amongst the songs you know it's just it's like a uh you know rorschach kind of thing and and I, I, i listen to these records more than i think i listen to some other records that I know are better, but are clearly in like one lane of genre or, or feeling because, uh, you know, mostly 
you don't necessarily know how you feel before you're about to listen to music. I don't know a whole lot of people who are like, I feel sad now. I'm going to put on sad music. I know there are some of those days, but, um, you know, or happy. I'm going to put on bouncy music, but this yeah, is like, you know, who does that is non-musicians. <laughs> That's how they listen to music. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And I, but I think this one is, is perfect for the days where you don't necessarily know how you feel and you can kind of yeah. pick out what works for you. Am I going to party? Am I going to cry? Am I going to do both? <laughs> like, where's this taking me? Am I going to do a bunch of blow with Ringo? Yeah, exactly. How telling is it? We haven't even gotten into how the recording sessions for this album started off with the one instance ever post Beatles of Paul and John playing together. <laughs> that is this, crazy. This is a toot and a snore in 74 was, was this set, these sessions, this album. Yeah, and Stevie Wonder was there. And, yep. you know, I don't love what the results are. Oh, it shouldn't have been released. <laughs> but It's yeah, uh, just them messing around. You know, Paul was always pretty smart. Um, Paul was like, know, like, yeah, I don't want part of this. No, I'm I don't out. want any part of this. Yeah. He, he, always, he was great. That guy, is, is, he was great at self-preservation. I mean, he, he never had the same kind of dangerous uh, flirtation with death that a lot of the others did. I mean, he always yeah. kind of kept kept himself out of the fire in that uh, regard. But um, yeah, th- those sessions they're worth listening to just because of who's playing on it. But um, it was like they had that session and were like, "Okay, now we're going to do a full album like this." <laughs> so it should have been worse. This record should have been a lot worse. Should, yes, I, it's at the same time it should have been much better and should have been much worse. It's, it's funny <laughs> yeah. how that. And we're we're somewhere in the middle. It's it's a the perfect uh, symbolic representation of Nielsen's career, right? Like for, yeah. for as mu- as much as we love the guy, um, and as much as he absolutely did reach his potential, it does seem like there's so much more in the tank. Like they, they, like there was so much more that could have happened for him creatively. Right. That and why uh, were so many of his big hits the covers? Even though when he's an amazing songwriter himself, and it's like. What's the great Nilsson album to get into? Is it Nilsson Schmilson? Because there's some tomfoolery on that one and doesn't quite capture X, Y. It's like he's he's the eternal enigma, this guy. Yeah, and we also and we also love that the what if. You know, he he gives us yeah. the greatness along with the what if. And I think for you know people who love music lore, like that's just perfect. That that's yeah. everything we need for our imaginations to kind of run away with us while we're listening to him. Exactly. Yeah. Very similar to, to, to Towns Van Zandt. I mean, I think it's another, th- you know, uh, there are records of his that I f- know are classics and love them start to finish, but I know that, that you know, that uh, there are definitely decisions that he could have made to, to get more out of himself. Mm. Um, and I, I, it's, it's something that you bizarrely enjoy thinking about, like what else could have been there? Um, and I don't know why it's so um, uh, intriguing and, and and satisfying to, to to think about that there could have been more as opposed to just there being every, everything is laid out there. Um, you know, let you look at Bob Dylan. I absolutely love. I probably both agree. I love the guy, but uh, his music. But um, everything is out there. I, I think yeah, every, everything we, that he was going to get three hundred, four hundred songs. <laughs> like he, we squeezed it all out of him. We, he got we know it. The, the, he got the it. Or, yeah. or you know, the Rolling Stones. Like they they got what right. they got out of them. Like there's there's a lot that's there. Uh, they never really took their eye off the ball. Um, and I think th- there's no what if with those artists. And I, I think I think about their creativity way less 
than I do with say Towns or, or Harry Nielsen or um, you know Karen Dalton or, or somebody who sort of got lost in the sauce. Uh, you, you don't you don't think about the creativity of someone like Dylan as much because it's just like he he did what it's he did. Enjoy it or, or don't. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. What a a unique legend. I can't say that word enough. Like there there was no one else like him, and there's nothing else like this album. You know, for better or for worse. Definitely not. And I think at some point we got to talk about um, uh, Ariel Ballet. Yeah, I think uh, that it's, is another yeah, one. it's like is that the best example of Nilsson? Because that that's just a solid lineup of of great songs. But it it kind of falls into some '60s trappings. Like I, I might be personal uh, personally, I might be a little more partial to Harry, the one right after. But mm-hmm. you know, goddamn, it's hard to choose. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, if for people who are who are listening to this who who uh, don't know Harry Nilsson or um, I don't know if this record would be the one to start with. It's not. Nope. <laughs> uh, you know, similar to Death of a Ladies Man, like someone was like, I want to hear Leonard Cohen be like, Oh yeah, you know, you should listen to Death of a Ladies Man. Nope. You know, that'll get you into it. Nope. No, I guess start with Nilsson Schmilson. What the hell? You get a you get a little taste of everything in there. Yeah, yeah, and it's a sort of a, a consensus classic that that we have with him yeah well if we are gonna sum up this album in three words what what do you think you're gonna how are we gonna cap it off here oh geez um hmm i would say chaotic ragged uh deep hmm yeah yeah that's that's not too dissimilar from my uh What's my lineup here? Tragic, uh, heroic, mm. and uh, debauchery. It is heroic. Yeah, because they're, 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 when he's screaming through the pain or, or you know, you, when you hear him pushing himself, it, there is uh, yeah. it's a, it's a, there's a tragically heroic quality to that. Like he's, he's, not, he's not letting go of this opportunity. He's not letting it slip through his fingers. And yet as he's pushing, he, he, he is kind of letting it slip through his fingers. Yeah, you know what it is? It's so many like classic movies, like really epically long movies, say like uh, Goodfellas, the Scorsese mm-hmm. film. Uh, you analyze a movie like that after seeing it enough times like I have. There's there's the scene where everything starts to go wrong, which is uh, when they, they, they kill the maid guy and, and bury his body. That's how the movie starts out too. But there's this, there's this like nexus of the movie where – you know, you were on the rise, and now you're on the fall. And th- this album is uh, where where he's on the fall. This is the shine box scene of this Harry is the shine box scene of Perry Nelson's career. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's your quote, man. There's there's yeah. your promotional quote for this podcast. We got it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for for suggesting this one because this is this is a big pleasure. It was a joy to to like listen to this as closely as I did this past week. Yeah. That's it. Thank you for listening all the way through. And like I said, check out Thin Lear's music if you're on the old uh, Spotify or Apple Music there. He makes some really quality songs. And you know Niagara Moon is always out there to stream as well. Got CDs too if you go to my website. That's going to be it for this week. I look forward to coming back 
hopefully next week, hopefully talking about Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. No promises, not quite sure yet, but looks like that might be on the docket. Um, anyway, love y'all. See you next time. Bye-bye.